If you love learning about and working with crystals and altars, this episode of the Breathe, Love & Magic podcast is for you. My guest, Leslie McAllister, and I talk about our favorite stones, what they do, how we use them, how we clear them, and how to build altars with them. We talk about ancestor altars, a little bit of magic, and a whole lot more, so stay tuned. This is Ronnie Ann Ryan, intuitive coach, and welcome to the Breathe, Love & Magic podcast. In this show, we'll talk about mystical methods, spiritual practices, and magic to grow spiritually, live well, and maybe find love. Open your heart, expand your mind, connect with spirit, and embrace the magic that is all around you. If you enjoy the show, please rate it or write a review and subscribe and share it with a friend. May good fortune come to all those who listen to the Breathe, Love & Magic podcast. And now, on with the show. On today's episode of the Breathe, Love & Magic podcast, I'm speaking with Leslie McAllister, owner of The Ceremonial in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. A longtime witch and tarot reader, Leslie opened the shop in March 2016 with the vision to build connection through ritual and intention. As a reader, teacher, and facilitator, Leslie continues to grow, expand, and learn through community in the new ritual studio, Ceremonial Treehouse. As an intuitive and guide, Leslie has grown a clientele worldwide and earned the trust of many via transparency, warmth, and kindness. An ethical practitioner, she works to create a grounded space of intention while working to cultivate lasting bonds. By honoring her ancestral path and lineage of readers, she continues to move along her path with dedication and devotion. Welcome, Leslie. Thanks, Ronnie. (laughs) Hi. I'm really excited you're here, and I'm also very excited about what we're going to be talking about. One of those things is crystals, one of my most favorite topics. And interestingly enough, hard to find a lot of crystal experts out there. I don't always think of myself as as an expert. I almost feel like I'm a student. Well, yes. I'm an ongoing student. We all are ongoing students, and it doesn't mean you are the Bible of all crystal wisdom. There is no pressure happening here so but that doesn't mean you don't have a tomb of knowledge right i have some knowledge okay yeah. good well between you and me girl we'll we're gonna have a good time talking about crystals and a myriad of other things let's start with do you have a favorite oh god i'm, I'm between two but it, i think i come back to selenite really i love selenite here's why okay you know- good. It's so cre it's so connected to well the god of the goddess Selene, who in Greek and Roman mythology is the goddess of the moon. Selene shows up as the mother, like the full moon energy and the triple goddess. Selene is the full moon. For me, I feel like the moon is my home. That's where I come from. That's where I'll return to. Even though I'm part of a star system, we all are, but you know, the moon is really my home base. And so when I connect with Selene, I really feel like I'm connecting home with the great mother, that super divine golden light and source energy. And Celine feels very platinum to me in a lot of ways. The other thing I love so much about selenite is the many, many layers yes. of selenite. What is so great about 
selenite is that it is so intensely programmable because of all of its incredible layers. It's also very delicate, but very hard. So very much like me, it's like having a lot of layers being, you know, very delicate, but also kind of having that that structure. Selenite is also just such an incredible stone to work with, especially as an intuitive and reader, because it allows us to tap into that spirit energy. It allows us to connect. It feels like a receiver or a foam cord to our celestial friends above and celestial allies. And it, you know, it's a stone that also charges and clears. It, it's so multifunctional with all of its layers. It's like turning a page after a page there's more and more and more that we're finding out about selenite and how it can be such a, a companion to us practitioners. And working with it, to me, it's calming, it's energizing, it's clearing, it's cleansing, it's charging. It's, you know, you can kind of get lost in its many facetedness. Woo! Well, um, just to describe, this, since this podcast is not visual, just to describe selenite, it can be found in shapes and formed into shapes. But often in its natural state, it's like bars. It gets cut up into bars of all sizes. And it's wonderful for clearing. Like you can wave the bars over yourself there. It tends to be whitish in color with lots and lots of striations, which is what you're talking about, all the layers. And whatever you do, do not put it in water. Mm -hmm. No liquid because it will melt. <laughs> yep. Yeah. It's really cool too. Like I have just a slab that's clear. Some people might call that opt optical selenite. My sweet coworker, we were talking about that yesterday and they brought that to my attention, like optical selenite. I was like, oh, wow, shoot. I have a piece of that, but it does. It looks like ice. Oh, wow. That's very cool. Yeah. I do like selenite. I have some chunks <laughs> and I put my other crystals on them when I'm clearing. I put my pendulum on there to clear it or whatever. Yeah. So I generally use it as a clearing tool, but I know it has so many other facets as you so beautifully put. That is a great stone. And it is really hard for me to tell you one of my favorites because I keep discovering new favorites. Like if we're talking pure gem, then I'm going to go for tanzanite. However, I, I know, I don't think of that as a crystal, but I will tell you tanzanite, and I, I love this, is a facilitator of higher consciousness stimulates your intuition and perception because it has that purple kind of like amethyst, but it's also good for detoxifying the body. And I don't care. I just love that color. When we were doing our prep before, you mentioned the color blue and tanzanite that yeah. I love is just color that blue kind of leaning to purple, but not quite there yet. You know, it's yeah. just yeah. so magnificent. But then my next problem comes after that because like, where do I go from there? Because if I'm just talking about crystals, I love merlinite. Which I've discovered yeah. there's two Merlinites and I feel a little confused about that. So maybe we'll get into that in a moment because there's the dendritic old Merlinite, but then there's the Garbalala, whatever it is. But then I love Kyanite and Ruby. I love Kyanite too. That's Selenite, Kyanite and Black Tourmaline are, my, are in my oh. to-go pack at all times. Let's not forget about Herkimer crystals. Oh my gosh. Oh my so gosh. I have crystals. That's a nice chunk, Ronnie. I am a junkie. Did you go to, have you gone to the New Jersey mines? Yeah. No. And I bought this so long ago. I have, just so that people know, I have a palm size Herkimer. 
that has a lot of crud in it, but it's still magnificent. And it was 18 bucks. That's how long ago I bought it. Like you couldn't touch this thing now. No way. The teeny ones now, or even the small ones are probably 18. I know. But now is that from Herkimer, New Jersey? Because I also know there's a, a, a beautiful species of it in the desert as well. And they're oh. called, referred to as desert diamonds, but they are ultimately... Oh. The Herkimer Diamond Structure. I think Herkimer is in New York. Just to mention two other favorites, because I can't narrow it down like you did so beautifully for me. And well, maybe I was just unfair. And we'll go back to some of your other favorites. Bumblebee Jasper. Oh, oh yeah. So Bumblebee Jasper is orange and yellow and gray and sort of an off-white, sometimes a little getting to black. Bumblebee Jasper is about joy and happiness. Yep. Yeah, baby, give me a nice chunk. I love, I have a bunch of bumblebee yeah. jasper. Oh, that's a and nice I, piece. I have to say the most populated stone I have in my collection, which is all over the house in little containers with little altars, which we're going to talk about altars too, is labradorite. Can't have too much labradorite, right? Which is a gray stone that has depth to it like opal where you can see different colors flashing from green to blue green to some yellowy green with black striations. Magnificent stone, really good for manifesting and probably some other things. Yeah, I love the, you know, labradorite, moonstone, larvakite. They're the they're feldspars, which means that they well, have- Well, tagarai. Isn't tagarai part of that little team? It could be, but I, I immediately go to those because they flash. Yeah, yeah, they sure they have do. A flash. To me, what is so beautiful about those stones, I think of labradorite and moonstone as openers for a lot of people. Mm. You know, when people are coming into their their first loves of their stones, their first love, the one that caught their attention in the very beginning, you know, that sort of opened the door and led the way. It, it usually is amethyst, labradorite, moonstone. You know, what's so beautiful again about those flashes with moonstone, larvakite and labradorite is that it's that concept of the seen and the unseen. You know, they create this sense of magic and it allows us to kind of search and look and seek within. And that's why I love those stones, why I think they're such gentle openers for us that again, have so many facets and layers like our dear selenite does. Well, thank you for that extra clarification. <laughs> I just feel like I keep discovering new stones. It's like, how could it be that it just keeps going? So anyway, let's talk about my confusion over Merlinite. Do you know about this problem? I don't. I've come into contact with Merlinite. I've come into raw versions of Merlinite that have been really, really mm. beautiful and I've worked with. And, and I think I remember it is, is, is kind of in the same color tone as your dear Tanzanite and blue kyanite like we can see really it i've never I've seen, seen it in blue never i've, I've only seen. seen it in black and gray this one here black and gray very mottled but also dendritic opal is mostly white with it looks like little teeny weeny ferns those little curled kind of plant yeah. organic striations in it that are not plant matter mm -hmm. so 
And so there's two kinds. So I want to look up. Yeah. So what I was going to say is that the versions, that, so you have a polished version and the, the ones that I've seen have been raw. So I suppose, you know, my, my concept of blue and your concept of gray may clash because when I see that blue, it is that sort of bluish steely, you know, blue gray kind of color. And I suppose when we see our stones in the raw, as opposed to our stones that are polished, colors are going to shift to change, right? Just like when we're painting our nails, when we put a clear coat on top of polishes, they can shift and they can come more brilliant. When I've seen Merlinite, it has been this sort of steely blue gray, sort of periwinkle with lots of like black sort of mica or sort of in matrix. Maybe it's a black tourmaline matrix, or maybe it's a hematite or, or a galena or something like that. That's sort of in a matrix with the Merlinite. I've come to understand Merlinite as this like deep stormy force like I always get this idea of Shakespeare's The Tempest, you know, where our lead character sets out on a cliff and sees this incoming storm. So Merlinite to me always has this, or, or, or you know, when we think of our incredible, we think of Merlin, right? You know, so we think of our grand wizards like Gandalf or Dumbledore or, you know, the Lord of the Rings, you know, these opposing wizards. You know, you have this idea of light and dark and balance. And so that's always what I think about when I work with Merlinite. While you were sharing all of your wisdom about Merlinite, I did a little search. So another kind of Merlin, there's dendritic opal or dendritic agate, but there's also indigo gabbro. Yes. And they're not the same rock, but they're both called Merlinite. So that's where my confusion. So, you know, sometimes too... I'm very lucky. We have a beautiful uh, science museum here in Pittsburgh called the Carnegie Science Museum, and they have an incredible gem and mineral room. Mm, and then in the very, very back, they have precious gems and they talk about, you know, the four C's cut color carrot and they talk about barrel. Barrel is the sort of like overarching umbrella of the family tree of stones and barrel can contain aquamarine barrel can contain tourmaline all these kind of gems emerald the, the aquamarine i think like the topazes emerald heliodor is yellow and it could be similar with that merlinite that it might be that this sort of overarching and then it has this for example like with ocean jasper you know you have like ocean jasper then some people call it like fish eye jasper yeah. or yeah. jaspers yeah. you have all of these different names yeah. that come in with it so, it, you know, it could kind of be under that. And, you know, sometimes when I see the dendritic opal, I also like, I feel like there's a similarity with moss agates as Ooh. well. When you were describing it too, it almost looks fossilized, like a fossilized plant life within it. They're yeah. absolutely stunning. Yeah. The dendritic um, opal and agate definitely look like that. And I do love them. And I have started a little collection of those too. So Okay, so I explained, I have them everywhere. So I have little dishes filled with collections kind of all over my house. You know, some altars, some windowsills. <laughs> How do you work with your crystals? When I first started out, I was obsessed with all the super rare, wild and weird things. <laughs> but then I came right back to rose quartz, quartz and amethyst. You know, selenite, black tourmaline, black, blue kyanite. And... I've come back to the basics. Yeah. Honestly, when I'm working, I do a lot of work in my ritual bath with stones. So I take stones. Of course, you want to make sure that your stones love to be in water. Yes. Uh, 
So for example, I usually work mostly with quartz when I'm in the water. So I'll work with rose quartz, amethyst, smoky quartz, and I'll bring them into the water with me and I'll create an altar in the water. And I focus on the stone's structure. And so, you know, with our points, they act like an arrow because they're appointed. And with an arrow, we're pointing at something, we're pointing at something that we're focusing on. And that's where the energy flows out of the stone is through its point. So if I'm working with a point or a double terminated piece, which is like a double ended arrow, I'm working with the flow of the energy and I'm usually pointing it back towards me or pointing it towards something that I'm looking to manifest or to heal. And then a lot of times with our palm stones or our spheres, like especially with our sphere, there are no points. So the energy radiates 360 degrees. With our palm stone, it kind of fits so snugly and warmly in our hand. So it feels like a stone that we can work with that's very self-soothing and calming, something we can hold tactile, you know, like like the fidget, the yeah. fidget stuff things. Um, but so I start in the bath. I do a lot of altar work in the bath with that. And I sort of set up what people are very commonly called like a crystal grid on top of it. Also, I'll create, this is kind of interesting. I'm interested to hear if you have a similar experience. I keep like stones with like stones. I was talking with a friend of mine. We also have a podcast and we talked about how sometimes they argue, like sometimes they don't like to be. Oh, Citrine might not want to be hanging out with, with blue kyanite or lapis. So I kind of listen to them because you know, coming back to the basics of working with stones and being in companionship with stones and in right relationship to our stones, we are entering into an agreement with them. And we're saying, this is the work we're going to do together. Certainly you can just love it as a beautiful piece of art. Certainly. But you're underutilizing the stone if you just sit it on a shelf and walk away from it. And so I think like first getting that stone and programming it, you know, because that's their meant, they are little computer chips. They want to hold the information. And so sitting with it and programming it first and foremost, cleansing it, making your own, walking around with it for a week, really bonding with it, sleeping with it, putting it at your bedside table, taking it with you to the grocery store, in your car, wherever you're going, just practical magic. Then saying, what do you want to do? What are we working with? What are we working Mm -hmm. on together? So really letting it inform you and then taking it to your working altar space and beginning to create a grid with it. So what I'll do in that instance is if I'm working with, say, for example, pyrite or citrine, which are very, are well known to bring in financial growth, stability, they're high manifestation stones, they're great for prosperity workings, they're great for joy, all of those things that we want to invite into our lives. Then I'll begin, you know, I I might write an intention and set my stone on top of it on my working altar. Um, And that might be in the center if I'm creating a circle. And then all around it, I might add some quartz crystal with little teeny tiny points, little maybe half inch to one inch wands with little points. And I will kind of point the energy at my intention because quartz amplifies energy. Mm-hmm. So in my experience with quartz, if I'm really working to rev something up, to amplify it, to even call something in in a specific time, I'll invite quartz in to help me to amplify that energy almost as a loudspeaker. So then I'll kind of create a circle with the quartz around us. That's how I work with them. May not be traditional. I certainly work with these things in intuitive ways. And a lot of times I don't even open a book. It isn't until later that I'll open a book and be like, oh shoot, I've been doing that the whole time. 
I let the stone teach me. I let my ancestors speak to me. I let my guides guide me to do what they do best. And I just try to work with my own personal intuition, trusting what my stone is telling me to do, saying, here's the work we're going to do together. What do you see best fit? And so that's how I've always worked with them. And it's always felt really organic to yeah. do that. Yeah. Well, I love everything that you said. And it's funny because in my office, one of my windowsills has an array of larger quartz points. And so when I go to meditate or channel or something like that, I will grab one of them. Like one has cathedraling, which is a bunch of little kind of points or surfaces on one side. I have one that's, I can't remember what it's called, but it's cut in a certain vol volper or something like that. Oh, um, I know what you're talking about. That's like 60 cuts on it, faceted in a very particular way with a wide end and a pointed end. That's a healing stone. And that was based on a scientist that did work at IBM because he was working on creating crystals and computers, which we have crystals. Which we have now, yeah. And oh, what is his name? I got to look that up. I thought, okay, look it up. I thought it was like Volpe or something, but then I have points that are still clear quartz, but they're kind of white on one end and more, you know, they have more, we'll call it details in them yeah. and then they're clearer on the other end. And that's supposed to be like a masculine feminine energy within the same. And then I have some that have little, they're long guinea points, but then they have little points at the bottom, you know? Yeah. So I have an array. And then I just pick the one that I feel like, what's the energy that I need? And that's how I've worked with my crystals. And the funniest story is back when I got my first really nice hunk of quartz with all the cathedraling on one end and the ghosting and all that stuff. I used to meditate with that thing all the time. And then I had a girlfriend who was who would clean my house for me. I paid her, but she was the person who cleaned my house. And one day I came home and my crystal sitting on the couch and I picked it up and I'm like, whoa. And it was super buzzing, which it always had a nice energy to it, but it was like on, you know, I don't know. It's like on steroids. I'm like, I suddenly I called her. I'm like, Hey, what did you do to my crystal? <laughs> oh, she said I cleaned it. Oh my God. Apparently it really needed a good clearing. And I used to think that is such nonsense. No, yeah. it's not. Yeah. So, then I was like, all right, every once in a while, we got to smudge these babies or stick them in some salt water or put them out in the moon or whatever you want to do, because it really makes a difference. And that was my first experience with what a shock. It was so shocking. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Update. The scientist's name was Vogel. V-O-G-E-L. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Vogel. That's it. Yes. Yeah. And it's so, I love hearing that this was like somebody who was working at IBM and was like, figured this out and figured out the 16 cut double terminated. And it's usually thick and then tapers thin. Yes, is, that's is exactly thin. how mine is. Mm -hmm. It has a lot of cuts, a lot. It's, and it's just beautiful. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I didn't get any instructions with it, but I love looking at it and holding it. So, all right, let's move on to talk right. about altars. Okay. So I didn't know that what I had created all over my house were little altars. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So do you want to talk about crystal altars or do you want to talk about like, like witchy altars or can all we, of the above? Can we segue? Let's start with the crystals and then segue. Yeah. yeah. Well, tell me about some of the altars you have, because I love concepts of crystal altars. And, you know, I was going to say too, like, 
a lot of times, like I was telling you earlier, I'll keep like stones with like stones. So my partner and I do a lot of our communicating in the living room. And so that's where I'll have my lapis, my blue kyanite, my blue chalcedony or blue calcite stones, stones. I'm, you know, I'm referring to blue stones that are great for communication. Yeah. Amazonite baby. Amazonite. I just put one in my purse. Yeah. I've got one coming home with me. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I, when I think of Amazonite, I think of like Amazon, like the Amazon woman energy of like reclaiming self and truth, truth, truth. It's a big Mm -hmm. truth stone. All right. So you're very intentional with the stones you choose in the areas you put them in. Indeed. Yes, I am. Yes. I mean, I suppose in a way they there, it's more about positioning and not so much about altering when I'm doing readings and stuff. I usually have my quartz, my amethyst, the selenite that I'm working with. So I kind of work with it in that way. And I, and I do really work at like clearing them at the new moon, like I'll, I'll clear them at the full moon, charge them. But then like a lot of my protective stones, since today is a new moon, um, you know, I'll put out all my darker stones tonight, my black tourmaline, my obsidian, my smoky quartz, and I'll charge those up in the void of the moon to kind of absorb that new moon protective energy. Oh, that's fabulous. Tell me about your altars because crystal altars is something that ebb and flow, or shall I say wax and wane? There you go. Well, I'm definitely a piler. Uh-huh. I pile things. And so I have an altar on the other side of my desk that's filled with all kinds of crystals from spheres to towers to natural shapes from that aquaphora crystal that's been fused with that blue or whatever to an amethyst ball to a a statue of Shiva and a little Viking statue and a coyote made out of onyx. It's just... Whatever pleased me, just uh, uh, just all eclectically set up there. And every once in a while, I go and blow on it really hard so all the dust goes to earth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like another, like you know, in terms of cleansing your crystals, you can be really creative. Like my nephew said to me, he brought this to my attention. He's like, well, sometimes I just hold it to my heart and thank it. Oh, how nice! Give it gratitude, and that can clear it you know and I was like I'm gonna do that oh beautiful this child child is from many galaxies yeah yeah well I love that I love that I have smudged it without moving them because it's such a pile I don't want to take it apart and I have washed them all also at some point I put them all in the salt water the bowl that you have is an eclectic bowl or is there like an it's a flat surface it's a small octagon shaped table who knows where we even got it i see i see so that so when you're placing your altars with your stones i mean i guess i'm pretty much doing that as well but when you're placing your altars around with your stones, what do you, how are you working? Like, what's your intention? Well, that one was just a bunch of things I loved, but I have another one on uh, near the um, door of my office where it was very intentional. And I was working with, I say Hecateate, I don't know how you say it. And so I found, I went to look for, well, what is she like? So I have a horse and a dragon and a dog and a big chunk of uh, an egg-shaped obsidian and a moon, a representational of the moon that lights up with a little wooden rack. And then I threw my, I love sugar bowl magic. I don't know if you know anything about that. So I put my sugar in a crystal sugar bowl with a spoon so I can stir that baby up. 
So I just, so that was more intentional purpose. So that was different. Okay. So when I'm working with altars, I, I work more with like actual devotional altars. I, I will add crystals, but it is a lot more about the elements. So I'm always going to have a goblet right. of water. I'm always going to have an element representing fire, typically a candle, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. an element of air represented by either smoke or a feather. feather. Yeah. And sometimes too, with the water, I'll call in some shells and then earth will usually be by stone or a pentacle altar tile. A lot of work that I do on my altar is devotional in terms of that's like where I come to give thanks. I call it my phone booth. It's where I go and I work and I connect with my team. That's not an original term. I've heard somebody else use that term. That's um, fine. But I love that concept in calling the altar a phone booth because it really is. I also think about that the bathroom is, is, is an incredible telecommunication space because water is such a receptor and a conduit and such a loudspeaker to the other side and to the other world, which is why I do a lot of ritual bath. With the altar work that I do, there's so many different altars you can have. Like I typically do devotional altars. You can have an altar devoted to protection, to ancestors. You can have your working altar where you're just doing all of your work. That's where all of your tools are being charged. But it's very important. Like ancestor altars are very, very serious. They're very structured. And there's a lot of boundaries around ancestor ah, altars in terms that's interesting. of work. Well, let's talk about that a little oh, because I have an okay. ancestor altar. So here's my oh. thing. I am untrained. I apparently have had many witchy past lives. So I really don't think of myself or label myself in that way. I'm very eclectic and I, not that there's anything wrong with it. I don't mean to say that, but I just have not studied. I haven't done it. It just turned out that I worked with a magic coach. She called herself. I said, oh, everything she said, I'm like, oh, I do that. Oh, I do that. Oh, I do that. It's like, but those are just things that I did. You know what I mean? Bleeding over from other lives. So I have an ancestor altar now. So yeah. I have a picture of my mother's mother and all of her family brothers and sisters and father mother and i have a picture of my father's parents and he's in the picture with two other siblings but that's not all of them and then i have a picture of my grandmother again i only knew one grandmother and then i have a picture of my aunt and uncle and my parents and that's all i have on and then i have hearts and a glass of water and a bunch of crystals and a thing that says love and whatever. And I go there to say, thank you. Thank you for the DNA my uh, and my skills, problem solving, creativity. Da, 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 thank you. That's what I do there. I give thanks for everything that came through them. But I'm open to other things. Yeah, so I want to start by first and foremost saying, and I, and I touched on this briefly in the very beginning, I think it's incredibly important to lead with your intuition as a practitioner, like you have done, like I do. You know, I I do a lot of reading. I have did a lot of that in my formative years. In my adult years, I rely on my intuition. I rely on my divine channeling, rely on the information that I'm receiving from ancestors and guides. And so when I do find myself researching and reading again, I'm like, oh, I do that. I do that naturally, which- right. Which is something that I think is so important to confirm in ourselves that we do know the way, especially in my readings with clients. I always start by saying like, I'm just here to confirm for you. 
I'm just here to confirm for you. And it pleases me greatly for you to say, I know this to be true. Because the more that you can begin to trust your intuition, then my work is done. Because now you're believing in yourself and you're listening. But secondly, yes, I think it's so important to create that gate and that opening with our ancestor altars. Here's what I know to be true. The most important thing that I've always come to understand about it is pictures you you cannot have a picture of a living person on that altar. Oh no. So you want to make sure first and foremost that only the dead reside on that altar. Yeah. But yeah, that's just, you know, it is. It's it's a goblet of water. I usually stick with water because water is life. We all need it no matter what. You know, or coffee or tea on special occasions or something like that. Yeah, I think it's so great to like pause there and say, "Thank you. Thank you for passing the baton to me. Thank you for giving me life." Thank you for your courage. But I also go there and say, what do you need me to heal? What needs to be healed in this lifetime? One of the members in my family who has raised their hand to say, okay, I'll be the next one to do work around healing our bloodline. You know, And so the first and foremost was like, I stopped drinking. I quit smoking. I stopped drinking. Two huge things. Every single one of my ancestors has died from you know smoking or poor habits. So I'll stop. I'll stop those things. So it stops here with me. So I I go to this altar to say, I am of service to you. What do you need me to heal? It's hard work. It's dark work. Dark work, by the way, of like, it's painful. It's trauma-based. It's shadow-based. It's not easy. It will turn your life around positively. But a lot of times getting to that positive stuff takes real grit. And so that's how I work with my ancestor altar. So it is joyful. It is gratitude, but it's also let's do this work. The other thing that I know about ancestor altars, and I might be saying something you already know, I call in the ancestors that have ascended, that are healed, that are ready to guide me in positive ways to really move the family forward. We all have a couple of those curmudgeons in the bunch that want to, you know, throw a wrench in the plans and be mischievous or, you know, haven't healed themselves and have a lot of insecurities as well, you know. And so I always kind of say, I'm I'm opening the gate to my ancestors that are healed or that are, are ascending and truly for the best and highest intentions want to work with me to kind of do this healing work. So that's how I work with an ancestor altar. Well, I will say I did learn that the hard way. If I'm calling in my spirit guides and any angels or whatever, and I'll ask for my whole and healed ancestors. But what happened was I don't do any spell work, but I decided to try a spell. I got it out of a chaos magic book. I asked for the wrong thing because I asked for the highest available. As a result, I did the magic. And then that night when I was sleeping, I had a lot of really bad dreams. And I woke up to hear, how could you do that? How could you lower yourself to do that kind of magic? That's trash to us. I'm like, what the heck is that? So I was asking somebody who I thought might know. And she said, yeah, don't ever ask for the highest available. You ask for whole and healed ancestors. Because what you got were, were ancestors that were not healed. And they didn't like the kind of magic. And they thought what you were doing was too lowly because I wasn't doing high magic. And we're not going to get into the whole thing. But high magic, I was doing low magic and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I was like, this is why I don't dabble at all. You know, like, oh, I am so done with that. I don't need to be chided by disincarnated spirits about anything, you know. 
That's how I learned that lesson. (laughs) That reminds me of a quote in our very favorite practical magic by sweet aunt Jet, who says, this is how you can't practice magic while looking down your nose at it. You know, you've got to like, you know, she was talking to Sally and and, have you ever seen practical magic? Yes. One of my favorite movies. Oh my God. Yeah. Diane Weist. What an incredible actress, but yeah. And, and, you know, that's the thing, like dabbling, you got to be careful. You'll learn. You'll learn. You oh, yeah. Yes. So, teach you. <laughs> I, I put that all aside. I'm like, I don't do it for a reason. I'm not going to start in this life. Yeah. Maybe yeah. another time. I don't know. Yeah. Not doing that. Burn too many times, so to yeah. speak. Is there anything else you want to share today? I just want to say one last thing about the ancestor altar. Placement is important. Typically oh. in the kitchen or the living room or somewhere like not in a bedroom, nothing like that. Like it's better to have it sort of out in the open. They like to be part of the family. Dining room, kitchen is usually the best because that's, you know, that's where we would gather with our ancestors too. You know, we'd have a meal, we'd break bread, we'd celebrate our traditions. And so that's just one other thing. You know, I think the biggest theme so far, be it in crystals or in altars or in spell casting, comes back to the fact that it's so important to first trust your intuition. Since we were talking about stones, you and I have talked about what's selenite do? What's tanzanite do? What's merlinite do? What's amethyst do? But I always tell all of my incredible customers that come in that say, what stone should I choose for this? I always say, let the stones tell you. Because if you're having heartbreak, maybe rose quartz isn't right for you. Right. You know? Maybe it's it's amethyst that wants to heal your heart. The stones will tell you. So I always say, I do very, very, very deeply believe that our stones are multifunctional, multifaceted, and can do more than we even realize. So citrine could heal a broken heart. It could do things that we don't necessarily talk about it doing. So I think it's always really important to just trust your intuition what's drawing you towards it? Yeah. You know, what is the magnetic pull that you're feeling? Do you feel a buzz when you hold it? Do you feel uh, your chills, a rush of energy flow through you? You know, and then also when you're building your altar, um, what do you know to be true? What have your grandmothers taught you? Your grandfathers taught you, you know, your elders, what feels right in your body as you're doing it? Yeah, sure. Read books, but that's somebody else's experience too. So I always think, trust your gut, start with your heart, come from a place of purity and compassion and intuition and and lead from that place. Mm, You know, I think that is really good advice. And how most of these stones have come into my hands was being at a gem show or in a crystal store and just feeling like the magnetic pull of my hand going, I need that, you know? And that's how I've acquired almost all of my stones, not from like, I want a piece of blah, 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 but from just being pulled magnetically to whatever the stone is. So I just want to say, I've had so much fun with you today. Leslie, this was so awesome. Thank you. What a joy. And thanks to our our friend, Vanessa, for pulling us together as well. Do you have a big decision that you're struggling with? Or do you have trouble making decisions? Or maybe you just want confirmation that you're headed in the right direction. I've created a special gift for you called How to Ask the Universe for a Sign. 
In this free half hour audio program, you're going to learn exactly how to ask the question, how to set everything up so that you can get an answer within 24 hours and finally know one way or another what you should be doing about a particular situation. This has worked so well for me to listen. Just go to intuitiveedge.biz slash sign. That's I-N-T-U-I-T-I-V-E-E-D-G-E dot B as in boy, I-Z slash S-I-G-N. Thank you for listening today. If you're curious about intuitive coaching or a past life reading, please visit breatheloveandmagic.com. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate it or write a review and subscribe to never miss an episode and share the magic with a friend. This is Ronnie and Ryan wishing you love and magic. Music